Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. For 25 years at Progress Coaching, I've been teaching leaders and managers how to coach their employees. We teach a methodology, we provide assessments, we do it in group coaching, we have online versions, we have a whole plethora of choices for leaders. And something hit me, and I think it hit me when I read the book Insight by Tasha Yurik. Now, I've cited this on a lot of my uh, podcasts lately, and Tasha wrote a book called Insight, and it talks about self-awareness. One of the most amazing things about her book is its application to what we teach at Progress Coaching. See, for 25-plus years, I've been telling managers coaching's a two-step process. One, it's getting someone to look in the mirror. That's self-awareness. Step two, it's taking action on step one. Yet very few people will do step one on their own. Now, in Tasha's work, she literally illustrates this through her research. In a survey, 95% of people said they were highly self-aware or self-aware. Through her work, she found out only about 10 to 15% of people are aware. That means 80 to 85% of people are fooling themselves. Now, what does that have to do with coaching? Well, let me give you an example. Let me give you two examples. Let's take a salesperson. When a salesperson hits his or her numbers and you ask them, Julie, boy, you had a great year. How come? That sales rep tends to talk all about themselves. Next year, Julie has a down year. She's at 85% of goal. You look at Julie and say, Julie, what happened? They start to mention things, many things, outside of themselves. Well, the market was bad. The industry was down. Our marketing department had an off year. The same thing happens with employees. When an employee gets called into the boss's office first, where I think we make a huge mistake as leaders, we've cultivated this fear of, "Uh uh-oh, what did I do wrong? Why is that? Because that's what we do. Yet often, a boss can be very well-intentioned very well-intentioned to provide feedback that is thoughtful and professional. And I cannot tell you in 26 years how many times I've seen employees walk out of an office, roll their eyes, go to two or three coworkers and have the coworkers say, what happened? And it becomes this theatrical spin of, well, he attacked me and I, oh, it was so unfair and I'm just, I'm just over it. And we theatrically react to the feedback that was provided. So it brings us to this master lesson. If you're a leader or even an employee, and what I mean by that, even an employee, is I hope you get something out of this. So it's really dedicated towards understanding why this occurs. So before we get into why this occurs in the workplace, let's look at people before they get to the workplace. So let's take high school. High school is very subject matter heavy. 
history, English, trigonometry, calculus. Our kids are learning subjects. They're learning content. Nothing wrong with that. And I've coached for 30 years in volleyball. I've never been in the school system as a teacher, so I have a fondness. I have a respect for teachers. Yet, I think the curriculum is lacking. So let's take high school kids. So often, when our kids are not playing as much as they'd like on a team or they didn't get the star role in the play or whatever the case might be, or maybe even got a lower grade than they should have, often, very often, parents will go in and complain to the teacher, to the coach. Think about that just for a second. Because I'm going to tell you something that happens not a lot, but it epitomizes part of the problem. When you, as a parent, go and fight for your kid, you're teaching them, you don't have to fight. Let me do it. may not be your intention. Now, here's what makes it even worse. Youth Sports, the Positive Coaching Alliance reports, the number one thing that kids hate about youth sports, when it's all over, what was it? The drive home with the parents. Because what the parents do is they say, you played pretty well, but... And then we unload 20 things they need to do by the time we hit our driveway. So guess what happens when they get to the workplace and they start hearing feedback? It's a trigger. It's like, ah, here we go again. Now, let's go to college. College can be, not for everybody, somewhat of a free-for-all. This is where they learn adulthood. Really good stuff. Yet, a lot of the curriculum, a lot of the subjects being taught are content-driven, subject matter-driven. Now, you must be wondering what I'm talking about with subject matter-driven. I am not in any way putting down the following subject. Yet, I'd like you to honestly say in the last 5, 10, 20, 30 years of work, depending upon your age, when was the last time you heard a boss call somebody into their office and say, Bob, I need your help with my trigonometry. Now, I know it has applications. I know it has value. I'm not putting that down. Yet, forget what I just said. And now, let me share with you a thought and ask yourself if this resonates with you. Most bosses, when talking about employees, won't bring up things like history or English or algebra or calculus. And I'm not saying those are not valuable subjects to teach. So let me just ask you, please don't take it out of context. Bear with me. I'm getting there. Yet what bosses do want more of is positive attitudes higher levels of motivation, greater teamwork and collaboration, greater acceptance of feedback. So let me share the big four with you. Attitude, motivation, feedback, and teamwork. Now, let's go back to high school. Let's go back to college. And by the way, this episode is not about criticizing our school systems. I want to be very clear. Yet, when you think about high school to college, That is eight years, typically eight, maybe 10 years of someone not being taught, 
not practicing cultivating a positive attitude, not learning what motivates them, not learning how to accept feedback even when they disagree with it. And what does it mean to truly be a great teammate? So let me give you a scenario in each one of what I call the big four. Attitude. You either own it or transfer it. So when somebody comes into work, how often have we heard people say, sorry, I'm just having a bad day. And they're really short with us. They're disruptive. They're not, they're not friendly. And what they really are saying is, I'm giving myself permission to treat you this way because I'm having a bad day. They're transferring it. Now, that may not be their intention. So this is not about taking this literally. It's about really understanding the concepts. Now, to own your attitude is to say to yourself on the drive into work or wherever you work and to say, how am I going to overcome this? I can't do this to my teammates. I got to be upbeat. I got to be positive. I got to be happy. Because here's the funny thing about attitude. Attitude is a choice. Yet too many people let things happen to them to affect their attitude versus saying, what am I going to do to successfully overcome this? How am I going to demonstrate resilience? We don't teach people that. See, for eight years in high school and college, guess what? We're being taught subjects. Yet when we get in the workplace, we're thrown into this culture of working together, collaborating, expectations, accountability, evaluations, skill sets, talent development, constructive feedback, projects, presentations, online learning. There's a ton of stuff that they're exposed to. Yet foundationally, almost every organization we've ever worked with, every leader will mention at least one or two employees with negative attitudes. Those one or two negative attitudes can affect the rest of the team members. Now, let's talk about motivation. Let's talk about what really motivates people. See, here's the funny thing. If someone doesn't know what motivates them, what they want to do, which most high school and college kids probably will not know, you have to be skilled as a leader to ask questions associated with what motivates them, such as, what are some things you'd like to do? What were some subjects or what were some projects you were on? And I remember a, vi- a high school volleyball player I coached. He said, I love to build things. I said, oh, walk me through that. And he just went on and on about building solutions and ideas. And really what he was talking about was engineering. He graduated from the University of Minneapolis last year in three years with a degree in engineering. And he said, you know, I never really knew what built you know, really built my excitement until you asked me those questions. Now, most managers will say, come on, you got to be motivated. And they try to motivate people as it relates to the job expectation. There's nothing wrong with that. Yet, there's an assumption that that motivation is shared by the employee. If we don't know what the employee is motivated by, We're going to have a discord. We're going to have a disconnect, not intentionally. Third, feedback. Most people do not have a positive relationship with feedback. Because so often, feedback in high school and college is punitive. Now, I know that might rub some people the wrong way. Let me explain. 
Rarely will you have a college professor, just due to size of classes probably, call somebody in and say, man, you're doing a great job. They typically call you in and say, you're falling behind, you're failing the class. Now, I don't know. In my 30 years of coaching volleyball, a kid ever coming up to me at practicing, coach, I'm going to be late. The principal called me in because he's really proud of me. Now, we're dealing with high school kids. They'll take things out of context and spin them to their own advantage. I get it. Yet, have we taught them the value of feedback? Have we taught them that is an incumbent responsibility of them to accept the feedback thoughtfully and professionally, not to agree or disagree. See, what happens when people get feedback is we go into agree or disagree mode. We start to validate or invalidate the feedback. See, while somebody is giving us feedback and they say, you know, John, you're, you're, you're late, you're, you're not collaborating, you're not working well with others, the first instinct we have is right or wrong. And if we think that our boss or the person providing the feedback is wrong, We start to disconnect. We start to disengage. We don't notify them. We don't look at our boss and say, Bob, I need to slow you down. I'm starting to disconnect. Now, I bet you you're laughing right now. Wouldn't that be hilarious if an employee said, boss, you need to slow down. I'm really feeling disengaged. What happens is it just happens. So what can we do about it? This is going to come off so trite. And so simple, ask people, what's the best way to give you feedback? And people look at you like you're nuts. Yet the question builds trust. And someone will say, well, what do you mean? Well, I want to provide you feedback, both positively and constructively in a way that you will accept it professionally and thoughtfully. I could email you some bullet items we're going to talk about so you can mentally prepare, put yourself in a great mood to accept what I'm going to say professionally and thoughtfully. I'm not always asking you to agree with me. Just accept it and reflect and and ask yourself what parts of the feedback you can utilize and successfully embrace. Here's the amazing thing about that approach. You've planted a seed. You've planted a trigger. It's exactly what's going to happen. I've had some employees say, sometimes I just don't think fast on my feet. I'd like to be able to reflect and come back. I'm like, awesome. So sometimes my feedback with people is two parts. I provide, they come back and share their reflection. Yet when you get people to author their reception of feedback, they become more receiving. Number four, if you don't have this, I would encourage you to do this. The definition of great teamwork. We teach something at Progress Coaching called define and coach. Have a definition and then list the attributes and actions people need to exhibit to support that definition. Most people do not, as a leader, have a definition of teamwork. So let me go back to my high school volleyball days. I would always say a great teammate is, and I'd fill it in, and I'd change it every year. And I always ended it with the following. Guys, You're always going to have a battle of me versus we. Always, every day, every practice, every match. Me is M-E. It stands for my ego. If you are thinking about yourself, you will disconnect from this team. I will not tolerate it. 
If you're thinking about we, W-E stands for we're engaged. We're basically together. Every day, me versus we. Now, it's not about perfect. Some days you're going to think about them yourselves. Why am I not playing more? I'm open to that discussion. Yet I'm always going to ask you, did you support we? And I do it every year. Never had a problem with kids. We don't do that with employees. Here's why I know that. We become very job specific. We train people such as customer service agents on the systems and how to log things in and how to talk to customers. We don't indoctrinate people to own their attitudes, find their motivation levels, teach them, and let me give you a big one, practice with them the reception of feedback. And what does it mean? What is the definition? What are the attributes and actions of being a fantastic teammate? You do that in your orientation, whether it's at an organizational or department or team level, you will be ahead of the competition. So what happens is, is we get people into the workplace. They've gone through four years of high school, four to six years of college. After eight to 10 years, we've inherited people who have received subject matter. I'm not against that. I'm not criticizing that. Yet foundationally, what is missing Are people's self-awareness? Who are they? What are their strengths? Where do they have awesome opportunities to improve? So I always ask one interview question. And if the person cannot answer it, I do not hire them. Name something right now that you're lacking and what you're doing about it to facilitate improvement. And I give the person a second to think about it. And then I say, let me share a little bit about me. I got certified in emotional intelligence through mental health systems. And by taking the questions and going through the course and going through the two days of training with an awesome coach by the the name of Ed Hennessy, it was really revealing. And I scored low in empathy. And I knew I was going to score low in empathy. And here was the amazing thing. I become more conscientious of being empathetic and more thoughtful when I coach. And I'll share that with people. And then I'll go back to the question. So my question again is, what is something or an area that you feel like you're lacking? And what are you currently doing about it? If the person says, you know what? I I can't think of anything right now. They are not self-aware. They are not in tune. They are not developing themselves. They are not committed. Those are the people in my estimation, are going to be more likely to complain about feedback and then tell four other people why the boss was unfair. So this master lesson, I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. And I always go back to the big four. And there are more than these four. But attitude, do people own it or do they transfer it? Motivation, do people know what motivates them? If they don't, that's cool. Help them discover it. Three, have people been taught how to professionally and thoughtfully receive feedback. Teamwork. What does it mean to be a phenomenal teammate? Is it defined? And are the attributes and actions itemized so somebody knows what they need to do to support that definition? If you do those four things, you will create a culture of coachability, meaning 
people will become more receptive to your coaching and your feedback. Good luck. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called coach to You, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign 7 to 21-day programs for employees to learn and, more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.